This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A very busy show. Here's a quick summary. Up first, a very poignant uh, column by our good friend John Rappaport at nomorefakenews.com on why the political left hates free speech and why they feel so emboldened uh, to shut it down. John Rappaport joins me next on our panel along with another good friend of the program, Morgan Reynolds from nomoregames.net, former chief economist with the U.S. Department of Labor. They'll both weigh in on uh, John Rappaport's recent blog entry again at nomorefakenews.com. Then... Want to cry? Uh, ransomware. Who created it and uh, why? Is the threat over? And uh, how do we protect ourselves? C- cybersecurity uh, expert Eugene Ng uh, will join us from uh, MNP, a law firm. He's the uh, cybersecurity leader for Eastern Canada, and he'll uh, be here to discuss. Then an update on the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. Was he the source of the DNC leaks to WikiLeaks, and was he murdered as retribution, or is this mere conspiracy theory? Alicia Powell from WND uh, will be here in the first hour. Also in the first hour, our mailbag and, of course, our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? Second hour, open lines, first hour, or first half hour, open lines, and uh, that'll be followed by a visit from assassination researcher James D. Eugenio as we commemorate the 100th anniversary of the birth of JFK, 35th President of the United States. Uh, we are jam-packed, so let's get to it. Uh, first, let me introduce the boys in the band on the Flying V Gibson guitar, technical producer Ian Robertson on the other side of the glass, uh, on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, Story producer, Albert Finzel. And uh, finally, on the Hammond B3, the producer of my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome all. Now, 
uh, let me direct your attention to the cigar box on my left, perched atop my studio desk here at Zoomerplex. Let me give you the coordinates. 70 Jefferson Avenue, here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Those are your coordinates. Now, allow the object in the box to form in your mind. Allow the shape, the size, color, and texture to form in your mind. Don't guess. Don't think. Get out of your own way. Trust your instincts. All right. To participate, you must tweet me at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, and you must use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show, Remote. Again, I will only accept entries from my Twitter feed using the hashtag TCS Remote, and the skilled remote viewer who identifies what's in the box will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. Please browse our line of T-shirts and phone cases, mugs, etc. at the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. If you're a fan of the show, why not show it off and uh, purchase an item and help support the, cons- the, the work we do here at The Conspiracy Show? Again, theconspiracyshow.com, and we'll reveal the contents of the box just after the bottom of the hour. One of the most disturbing trends uh, taking places on college campuses across North America is the utter contempt for free speech by the left. The so-called tolerant ones, showing tolerance for everything except a divergent viewpoint. Many radical cultural Marxist students, uh, and in many cases their professors and even the, uh, being enabled by college administrators... Various uh, conservative groups, young Republican groups, pro-life groups have been banned uh, from forming clubs on college campuses. I don't need to go over the the list of conservative speakers who have been invited to speak at places like Berkeley only to have the speeches canceled uh, because of rioting, rampaging, violent students. And in some cases, this violence and intolerance from the left has been encouraged uh, by the, uh, the mainstream media and even a former attorney general who will remain Loretta Lynch, recently commented that there needs to be more blood in the streets. But why does the left feel free, uh, hate free speech so much? And, and how did the left become so emboldened in their increasingly violent efforts to stifle any political dis- discourse they disagree, w- disagree with? Here to discuss is a veteran investigative journalist from No More Fake News, John Rappaport. John, how are you? Very good, Richard. Good to be here. And uh, the former chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor from NoMoreGames.net, our good friend Morgan Reynolds. Morgan, how are you? Hey, Richard. I'm excellent. Great. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. John, a great column, outstanding column. And, um, uh, again, people can read the uh, the blog at in its entirety at NoMoreFakeNews.com. John, first to you, when you talk about the left... You're really talking about the foot soldiers, as you point out, the grunts, who seem to be so oblivious to the fact they're really doing the bidding of the globalists, the crony capitalists at the top of the food chain. Just explain a little bit more about that, who the left is. Well, you said it. We're talking about uh, the globalists. We're talking about major organizations, corporations, foundations. We're talking about the bureaucracy, by and large, of the U.S. federal government itself. We're talking about the Rockefeller global movement to eradicate borders, to form in the future a North American Union, 
to basically put the world under the control of people who are claiming that they are for the good and for peace and for prosperity and humane motives and so on. And, of course, these people who are out in the streets have no idea that that's who they're really working on behalf of. So that's the short version. Yeah, it, uh, uh, Morgan, let me throw it over to you. It's, 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 to me, it's ironic that the, the, the people out uh, you know, protesting with their placards and so forth, they think they're the revolution, but in a sense, they're the ones that are propping up the status quo. Would you agree? Well, yeah, to, to address your uh, word revolution, they're the counter-revolution to Western civilization, right? Uh, ancient Greece is the cradle of Western civilization, and it's been a long, uh, hard struggle to uh, empower every man to speak his mind. But, uh, I've got a, uh, lots of quotes here, but the, the emperor of Rome, Domitian, in uh, 90 A.D., says, quote, in a free state, there must be free speech, unquote. You know, you go up to uh, Montesquieu, John Milton maybe is the most uh, famous advocate in the English-speaking uh, world, uh, 1644, and he he puts it that uh, this in proper order. Give me the liberty to know, to utter, and to argue freely according to conscience, above all liberties. And that's why the founders um, put uh, this the freedom of speech and press in the First Amendment. It's not there by some arbitrary uh, random digit uh, generator. Well, so uh, th- these students are totally ignorant of the, our, our Western heritage. And uh, or let, let me quote Thomas Jefferson, 1814, For God's sake, let us freely hear both sides. Excellent. Where do you hear that on campuses now? Excellent. John Rappaport, it, 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 Berkeley was, you know, the home of uh, a lot of these protests in the 60s, uh, the, this whole movement where they were demanding more freedom, more freedom of speech. It's, it's, again, ironic that now we find Berkeley is sort of headquarters where they want to shut all this down. Why does, why does the left hate free speech so much? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that the educational system itself has been deteriorating and collapsing and falling apart for a long time now in America. So these students really learn nothing about logic. They learn nothing about, uh, as Morgan pointed out, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the history of the struggle for free speech. So what you end up with are know-nothings who uh, have no background, no understanding, nor the ability to enter into any kind of formal discussion or debate. And if you steal from people that ability, if you dumb them down to the point where they're incapable of carrying on any kind of dialogue, then what you end up with is a very destructive formula. It sounds good to some people, which is you identify the bad and you try to wipe it out completely. And of course, that would include censorship. Well, that's the lowest of the low. But these people feel empowered by this idea because they, have, they don't feel empowered by anything else. The prospect of being able to go out and riot and throw stones through windows and so forth and burn cars and everything, to them, that's a power. That's the adrenaline moving. That's the, the best that they can think of 
and they believe that they're participating in bringing on a better world by just wiping out the other side or wiping out what they consider to be bad because that's all they can do. That's the only thing that they can be inspired by because they don't have the capability for actually entering into debate. And meanwhile, they are doing the the bidding, and it seems oblivious, as you point out, uh, that they are doing the bidding of uh, the globalists and the crony capitalists, the very people that they claim, you know, that they're protesting against in some cases. Morgan, is there any way, I mean, how do we, how do we reverse this? Is it too late? Uh, the more publicity, the better. Uh, it's too bad Ann Coulter, for example, didn't uh, give her speech and uh, see all this. I, I don't really blame her, but uh, it, it's kind of like having Soviet journalists, quote unquote, uh, back in the day being on TV and a lot of conservatives were upset. They're giving them. I say, no, fine. Everybody can see right through this. Uh, so these people are really dangerous 30 years from now. Now, yeah, they're having some lot of success uh, using the initiation of force or threat of force to to suppress uh, some free speech. But uh, they, they certainly aren't going to carry the day in the body politic. And the courts are actually pretty good in terms of handing down rulings that uh, protect uh, free speech. Uh, but look at these people. Look at Donald Trump's CIA director, Mike, Mike Pompeo, uh, pretty famously recently said, we have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free speech values against us. To give them the space to crush us with misappropriated secrets is a perversion of what our great Constitution stands for. It ends now. Well, of course, they, they, their big problem is that, as Assange uh, properly uh, points out, hey, we're a publisher. You know, people... Uh, if I were going to be a whistleblower and bring uh, some uh, state secrets forward, I wouldn't take it to the New York Times. You don't know what you're going to get. They'll probably turn you in. All right, Morgan, so I got to, I got to, uh, just, I want uh, John to give me uh, the last word on this before we uh, we um, run. Uh, are you hopeful that this can be reversed, uh, John? This this horrible, disturbing trend. In the long run, it's possible, but it's going to be very difficult. You've got to actually educate people, and the administrators of universities have to stand up and say, we're not going to shut down free speech. So it's the future hangs in the balance. John Rappaport, nomorefakenews.com, Morgan Reynolds, nomoregames.net. Gentlemen, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. All right, when we come back, Eugene Ng. Cybersecurity expert will uh, talk about WannaCry uh, ransomware rather, and uh, Trojan horse viruses. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming up after the uh, the bottom of the hour, our uh, mailbag, plus we'll reveal what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Use the hashtag TCSRemote uh, through my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, our weekly remote viewing experiment. 
Uh, that's coming up next. Uh, last weekend, the uh, the WannaCry ransomware uh, ransomware uh, infection. It just caused havoc. Hundreds of countries, hundreds of thousands of uh, machines affected. And there's this blame game that's going on over who's responsible for this massive cyber attack that, uh, again, infected hundreds of thousands of computers. Microsoft is pointing its finger at the U.S. government, while some experts say the software giant is also accountable. The uh, attack started last Friday. It's affected computers in more than 150 countries, including severe disruptions at Britain's National Health Service, uh, the uh, the hack used a technique purportedly stolen from the U.S. National Security Agency to target Microsoft's marketing or market-leading Windows operating system. It effectively takes the computer hostage and demands a $300 U.S. ransom to be paid in 72 hours with Bitcoin. Here to discuss more is. MNP's cybersecurity expert, Eugene Ng. Eugene is a graduate of the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. He holds the Certified Information Systems Security Professional designation and is a PCI-qualified security advisor. Eugene, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for being here. How are you? Thanks, Richard. I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, for the uninitiated, and that would include myself, <laughs> what is what is ransomware? I mean, I described it very, very generally, but what is it? How does it work? Well, I mean, it's essentially a, a form of malware that basically um, hijacks your, I guess, important files and uh, gets you to try to pay a ransom for it. And that's kind of the the combination of ransom and and, uh, and malware. And how it, the WannaCry uh, uh, incarnation or uh, iteration of this ransomware, what was it? Was there anything different about WannaCry? Uh, I mean, the only uh, difference is that it used a, an exploit that was, like you said in your intro, um, purportedly stolen from the NSA back in uh, in March. Uh, exploited a vulnerability in Windows uh, operating systems primarily, and spread extremely quickly. But I mean, from a um, you know effectiveness and how other ransomwares behave, it, it behaved exactly the same as everything else. And and what what types of files would be at risk? For example, I mean, how does it how does it enter into your computer? Is it you open an email? Is it someone sends you a JPEG? What files in particular? So the files that it affects are pretty much any files that are important to you. Um, I know there's a a listing out there. There's probably hundreds of different file extensions uh, that it actually encrypts. So you know your traditional Word documents, Excel, PDFs. Photos, JPEGs, all that kind of stuff would be uh, would be encrypted and then held for ransom. As far as how uh, your workstation could become uh, infected with the, the the ransomware, that's typically done through phishing emails. I mean, the majority of these ransomware attacks are done through phishing, uh, but they can also be uh, downloaded, you know, through the web, through malicious sites. Um, uh, they could be uh, executed through hidden macros in Word, Excel uh, files as well. So there's a bunch of different ways that, that users could be infected. So um, if your computer is infected, and is this only um, Windows operating systems? Like I'm a Mac guy, and does that mean I'm free and clear or are, are Macs From vulnerable? this particular strain of uh, ransomware, yes. But there are versions of ransomware out there that also affect Macs. Aha. So once again, it takes control of like, what kind of information then on your computer would they take ransom? Uh, I, for example, I had my website was taken ransom uh, one time. 
Yeah. Um, so, but what else can they get a hold of on your computer? They're they're re- really looking just to uh, make the most impact they can. So again, you, they're usually targeting files and documents that you would consider to be. Um, you know, sensitive or important to you. So those are, you know, your Word documents, your PDFs, right. um, personal photos, you know, all that kind of stuff. They would essentially encrypt those files and then uh, provide you with a screen to say, you know, pay a, uh, a sum of, you know, whatever, 0.5 of a bit, Bitcoin to get them back. And is your recommendation that you pay that or is there a, is there a, um, a way around it? Um, I mean, we've worked with uh, enterprise organizations that have, paid the ransom. Uh, we strongly uh, recommend against paying the ransom. If you do get infected, uh, the best thing you can do is just unplug your computer, shut it down, uh, take it into you know a, a computer place that can help you re-image the machine, and hopefully you've got a backup of, uh, of your sensitive files. Now, how was this particular iteration of uh, ransomware, the WannaCry uh, ransomware created. I mean, there's there's this talk. There's a lot of finger pointing going on. Uh, Microsoft is blaming the National Security Agency, although, and mm-hmm. Homeland Security said no, it wasn't the NSA. Uh, some people are saying Microsoft is to blame. Do you have a handle on who might be responsible? How this was created? Um, I mean, mo- the majority of the stories that I've been reading and the the research that I've done is it does point to uh, a bunch of I guess, hacking tools that were stolen from the NSA or that were leaked from the NSA uh, that were posted on the web for attackers to use. Uh, Back in March, uh, Microsoft did issue a a patch or a security update for the vulnerable operating systems. And the challenge for organizations and individuals is they're just not patching and updating their machines uh, often enough. So... Why are intelligence agencies developing these um, this 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 malware? I mean, what what is the point of them developing malware? What are they using it for? Do you, do you have any idea? I mean, they're basically using it to spy and um, to perform nefarious acts against enterprises and individuals. They're they're looking for back doors and ways to gain access to you know critical infrastructure. Uh, sensitive organizations that may be working on national defense contracts. I mean, those are the the targets of the sophisticated cyber armies that are that are around the world. I mean, the U.S. certainly has them, um, but you look at countries like China, even India, Israel. Um, you know, they've got all. They also have a, a fantastic group of individuals that are looking for, uh, you know, soft targets to infiltrate and to. Uh, to, to look at people's information. So th- this seems to be the new, you know, the new type of warfare. Uh, it's it's not necessarily fought on the battlefield with tanks and artillery anymore. It's it's um, on the one side you have these hackers who are trying to, uh, let's say, for example, there was the case of uh, Iran's uh, centrifuge in their nuclear uh, development program. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, some malware, I believe, used to to shut down some of their centrifuges. I mean, this seems to be the new way that wars are being fought. You've got the you've got the people on the offense uh, who are launching these Trojan horses, and then there are people like you, I guess, who are, you know, sort of on, manning the wall, trying to protect us from these sorts of things. Yeah, and I mean, it is definitely the the new reality. That the challenge, I think, moving forward is, you know, we talk about this public private partnership um, 
you know, a lot of private organizations are working either, you know, contracted for the government or providing uh, outsourced services to, you know, sensitive areas within uh, government agencies. And so you're really not attacking, um, or your primary target is not always state organizations, you know, like the power grid and things like that. Um, there are other softer targets that are providing services to these sensitive agencies that are becoming the targets for these um, cyber armies. Excellent point. Eugene Ng is the cybersecurity leader for MNP. Uh, that's a law firm uh, f- responsible for Eastern Canada. Uh, so how easy is it then for these tools that have been developed by these intelligence groups? I mean, how how vulnerable are we in terms of, you know, these tools being developed by intelligence groups falling into the wrong hands? Uh, clearly, very vulnerable, unfortunately. Um, I personally, you know, again, I, I'm not necessarily against these organizations from having tools or having access to tools like this. But, um, you know, when they are disclosed on the public Internet, they do have a responsibility to notify notify the public. Um, I think that was done too late in this case. Um, it should have been released uh, far sooner to give organizations a chance to, to update their systems. So once we figure out how to uh, resolve the WannaCry um, virus, there's another one, I guess, ready to go. Is that, I mean, in your line of business, is it just one coming after the other after the other and there's no stopping it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a study um, like a couple of years ago released, I think, by Symantec uh, that they were looking at a, over a thousand variants per day um, of different types of malware. In fact, this NSA leak of the um, Eternal Blue or the WannaCry uh, exploit, there were variants created you know, right after the initial uh, payload was launched. But there's others, there's dozens more uh, that are out there that are in the hands of the of the public. Talk about job security for people like you. <laughs> uh, but I mean, and, and who are who are these people that are are uh, using this malware against us? Are they? Is it organized crime? Are they? Is it some individual? Uh, you know, sitting in a, in a in some dank basement somewhere, anywhere. I mean, who do do we know who these people are generally? Well, I mean, the, the whole idea of having the you know, individual in their basement with the hoodie over their uh, head, you know, typing feverishly away at their workstation, I, I don't think is um, is reality. I think you are looking at, you know, organized crime, very highly skilled individuals and organizations um, that are using these exploits and creating these exploits to, to get financial gain. Uh, the challenge really becomes, you know, tracking down the source of, you know, for example, this one or even the Stuxnet um, uh, example that you raised earlier, you know, the all the stories kind of point to, you know, Israel and the U.S. were taking down Iran's nuclear program, but I've read, read other articles uh, where they're basically implicating uh, potentially China, whose initial target w- was India, just because of their space race and those two countries uh, being adversaries. So, uh, you know, with these digital attacks, it's really hard to kind of find that, uh, that, that smoking gun. Okay, so um, let's assume that uh, we haven't been infected yet. I mean, there's more coming. Um, w- what are the steps that we take in order to ensure that we don't get infected in the first place? 
My number one rule when I talk to organizations and individuals is to update your systems. You know, when your Windows PC asks you and tells you that there's an update, uh, you should be subscribing to those updates, downloading them automatically, and then installing them when you have a chance or when your mobile device prompts you that, you know, an application has an update to install, download it and install it right away. That's probably the, um, the best piece of advice I can give anybody. Updating not only your operating system, but also all the your applications. apps. All right. What about changing your password? Uh, you can change your password. Uh, my philosophy is pick a, a strong passphrase instead of a you know a strong password. So use a longer sentence uh, if possible. Uh, you don't have to change it as, as often. It's probably harder to guess than it would be a, a shorter, more complicated password that you'd have to write down or, or use a password safe. Um, best practice is certainly to change your password, but my recommendation is uh, using a longer sentence. And, and what about when you take your your uh, your laptop with you, uh, let's say uh, on holidays or someplace, and you're using public Wi-Fi? Always be careful with the public Wi-Fi. People can see where you're going. Um, there's also education that you know you can watch videos on YouTube about how to distinguish between a um, legitimate, uh, you know, SSL encrypted and and trusted. A website like your online banking to be able to tell the difference between that and let's say you know a phishing uh, web page that's been that's been brought up or an unsecure website. Are these uh, is malware becoming more potent, more sophisticated, or are they? Uh, is it essentially the, sort of the same general idea each time? Um, the, the the challenge with malware is they have different targets. So some of them certainly are looking to uh, are targeted at individuals or organizations to try to gain access to sensitive systems, and they're you know they're very targeted at what they do. And then you have these other ones, these you know kind of ransomware, where for the most part they're not really looking um, to harvest specific information. They're just trying to cast the net and make as much money as possible and and uh, and move on to the next target. So. Um, I would say some variants of malware are certainly getting more sophisticated. You know, others that the challenge really is, you know, the antivirus engines that are out there today, with you know thousands of different variants each and every day. It's it's almost impossible to uh, to keep up. So some of them are cookie cutter. Um, they just change a couple of things here and there, whereas others are, are definitely more uh, more targeted, more sophisticated. Eugene Ng is. Uh the cybersecurity leader for Eastern Canada with a law firm MNP. Eugene, thank you so much for this. Thank you. Mailbag and the big reveal for What's in the Box, up next right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 
at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Coming up after the uh, top of the hour, open lines. That's uh, the first half hour of the second hour. Open lines and uh, then... The last half hour of the program, assassination researcher James D. Eugenio will be here to talk about the 100th anniversary, upcoming 100th anniversary of the birth of John F. Kennedy, uh, and some interesting things that uh, are uh, in store uh, this year as we uh, mark that anniversary, and also, of course, coming up on the, the 54th anniversary of the assassination or the murder of the 35th president. And uh, in the... Uh, the next segment, upcoming, uh, Alicia Powell is a political reporter with WND, formerly uh, known as WorldNet Daily, and we'll uh, give you an update on the the uh, murder last July of DNC staffer Seth Rich, who was gunned down in a Washington uh, neighborhood. Um, initially, it was we were told it was a robbery, except uh, nothing was taken. His wallet, his jewelry, his watch, all in place, and some of connected the dots uh, between Seth Rich and the uh, the leak of those emails from the DNC to Julian Assange and his organization WikiLeaks. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll speak with Alicia uh, with um, Alicia Powell coming up in just a few moments. Now it is time for our big reveal on what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Before that, before we reveal, let's go around the horn. And um, from our uh, staff here at The Conspiracy Show, we'll begin with Ian Robertson. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something smooth and green. Smooth and green? Yeah. All right. Maybe a plant of some sort? Maybe a plant. All right. I like the way you allow the things to form in your mind. You don't just blurt out an answer. All right. Albert Vinzel, what's in the box? My, my mind still keeps going back to stuff you've had in the box before, so I'm guessing blue flashlight. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. And um, Ryan White, what's in the box? I'm seeing a very particular shape, almost like a, a, a volcano that's been exploded or a crater. A volcano. It's a small well, cigar box, Ryan. Yeah, but you're maybe a, a model or maybe... <laughs> the island of Hawaii. It's like like the island of Hawaii, but in a shape and maybe, maybe glassy. Oh, uh-huh. wow. All right. A 57 Buick. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Twitter feed, and what are people guessing? All right, uh, Alan guesses a maple glazed donut. Mm-hmm. Eric uh, thinks it's a wallet. Daniel S. sees silverware or a butter knife. Uh, Weiwei thinks it's either an egg beater or a small furry green thing. Retiring Dale thinks it's a spoon. Uh, Paul of Newfoundland, uh, loosely stacked thin blade-like items, feathers or popsicle sticks. Ah. Aubrey, something silver and round. Blah blah Tuesday, a pencil. Kevin B, something spongy or synthetic. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all right. That's uh, Albert's phone. He's that's he's doing guess. triple duty. He's doing triple duty. <laughs> all right. You know what? This is amazing, Albert. I know you're on the phone, but look at this. It's a flashlight, <laughs> Albert. Outstanding. Black. Don't curse the darkness. Light a candle. There you go. Well done, sir. You didn't peek in the box. Nope. Ryan, did he peek in the box? Ian, did you I see him? I might have seen him peek in the box. Seriously? I swear I didn't. <laughs> you swear? All right. Pinky I... swear? All right. Well done. Well, I'm going to set you up with some TCS merch. Albert, do you want a mug or a T-shirt? 
I, I, I don't know if I'm eligible. <laughs> oh, that's right. Employees are not. I'll send you something. That's all right. Please visit our online store at theconspiracyshow.com. And uh, well done. All right. Uh, we've got a few moments yet. Let's, uh, let's do our mailbag. Now, we, we received a very interesting letter from Columbus, Ohio, Albert. Uh, you're, you're becoming a specialist in this. It's, it's uh, about a TI again. A it's, targeted individual, yes. Right. It's um, Steve. His, name, his first name is Steve. We're censored the last name from Columbus. Ohio. He, right. And he writes, Dear Richard, I am a TI, a targeted individual. You have heard of us before. In my case, since August 9th, 2014, I've been getting hit with some kind of frequency directly to my brain. That's 24-7, nonstop. I believe it's from cell towers and satellites. I think it's a type of EMF microwave radiation frequency. I believe it's for two reasons. One, political control and repression. Number two, for high-tech experimentation on human beings. I began to get hit about six days after I sent a letter to my elected official about all the chemtrail spraying. Uh, back in 2014, I also sent some photographs I took of chemtrails. I believe there really is a military-industrial complex shadow government deep state. It's working against human beings and freedom. Please shine a light on the, these ongoing crimes. Thank you, Steve. Steve in Columbus. All right, well, thank you for that letter, Steve. And um, we do. We continue to shine a light on uh, targeted individuals. We talk a lot about it, and I receive... I would say at least one handwritten letter or type letter a week through snail mail, and I also receive a couple of um, a couple of emails every week, and it seems to be intensifying. Uh, so, Stephen, um, thank you for that, and again, I um, will pray for you. I don't know what else to say. I, um, you know, we'll continue to uh, to talk about it, and we'll have to get uh, our good friend uh, Dr. John Hall back on the program, and. Um, for those of you who are suffering uh, as targeted individuals, um, know that you can always uh, turn to me and you can write and uh, we'll also we'll always provide a forum uh, here for you to talk about this. All right. Thank you again. Uh, I don't know if that I was explicit. I know we're, we're doing radio and I held up the object that what's in the box on the camera, but I don't actually I don't think I said it on air. It was a flashlight. And uh, Albert, you nailed it. You said a blue flashlight, but... Uh, Close enough. It's a black flashlight, and he swears he didn't look in the box. I believe him. All right. Alicia Powell from WND standing by in Washington to talk to us about the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. That's upcoming here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416 416- 360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Uh, coming up at the uh, after the top of the hour, open lines uh, followed by 
our conversation with assassination researcher James D. Eugenio, who will join us live from Los Angeles, uh, and we'll uh, delve into, well, we'll uh, commemorate the 100th anniversary coming up very soon, the 100th anniversary of the birth of John F. Kennedy, and some interesting things uh, coming up later this year. Uh, in October, uh, I believe it's the last sort of staunch, uh, or the last rather, the uh, um, group of, of documents to be released um, under the the JFK um, sort of official records act. Uh, the last of those documents are to be released, and then in November there will be a mock trial. I guess they'll put the uh, the Warren Commission on trial at uh, a law school in Houston. So James D. Eugenio will be along to talk about that and. Uh, um, Open lines, as I say, coming up next. Seth Rich, Seth Conrad Rich, 27-year-old computer voting specialist, was working with the Democratic National Committee, was uh, fatally shot in Bloomingdale, a neighborhood in uh, Washington, D.C., last July. Uh, Police initially said that Mr. Rich was the victim of a robbery gone wrong. Although uh, he was found shot in the back, he was still in possession of his wallet, his credit cards, his cell phone, his watch. His wristwatch was torn but not broken. And uh, interesting that his, his death came just before a particularly sensitive time for the DNC. WikiLeaks published thousands of DNC emails and documents on July the 22nd, leading to the resignation of DNC chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz right before the 2016 Democratic National Convention. The DNC had publicly disclosed that their networks had been breached in June of that year. And those emails, of course, were particularly damaging because they showed the DNC had actively tried to undermine the presidential campaign of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who surprised much of the Democratic establishment with a competitive challenge to the eventual nominee, Hillary Clinton. Julian Assange of WikiLeaks has all but admitted uh, that Seth Rich was the source of the DNC leaks, even going so far as to offer a reward for information leading to the arrest of Seth Rich's murder. Here to discuss the latest developments in this interesting case is Alicia Pau, political reporter with WND, formerly WorldNet Daily. She's written for numerous outlets, including Human Events, Media Research Center, Town Hall, Daily Surge, and Young Cons. She worked in the war room of the Rudy Giuliani Presidential Committee and served as a White House intern during the George W. Bush administration. Alicia holds a Bachelor of Science degree in political science from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Uh, she's a New York a New York native and currently resides in the Washington, D.C. area. You can follow Alicia on Twitter at Alicia underscore POW. That's A-L-I-C-I-A underscore POW, P-O-W-E. Alicia, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Thank you for having me today and tonight. And, um... <laughs> This Seth Rich story, you know, if if we get to the bottom of it and we we find that the DNC is responsible for Seth Rich's death, I mean, the ramifications of that would just be magnificent. But, um, you know, there are lots of red flags that um, are kind of leading in that direction, proving well- that they did do it. It's interesting. I mean, the mainstream media is not – they don't want to touch this one with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I know that Fox had uh, the, um, the the private detective that was hired by a third party uh, to investigate this. Um, tell us a little bit about what do we know about this uh, private I- I- investigator? Is it Rod, um, Rod Wheeler? Yes, Rod Wheeler. Yes. He was hired by the family in March to um, start investigating the case. And he went immediately to the police department – to 
see what they've uncovered already, to find out what the police have uncovered already. And according to Rod, he has a very good relationship with the, with the police. He's very close with the, the chief of police in Washington, D.C. But when he went there, he told me that they gave him blank stares. They wouldn't give him much information at all. And he found it odd. He found it actually, in his words, scary. How they were, the, the lack of aggression they had to help him or to give him information and that they continue to have. So the really funny thing is that um, uh, just the day after or the day before the um, Seth Rich's story um, that I was on, on Drudge Report and became news again last week, the family told the detective that the reason why the police didn't give him any information is because a high-ranking DNC official went to the police department to find out why Detective Wheeler was snooping around. And then he contacted the family, this high-ranking official, to find out why they hired a private detective. Now, the family has had a spokesman um, who is a uh, family spokesman's name is Brad Bauman. He is a Democrat political uh, crisis consultant. That's their spokesman. And he was friends with, uh, he told me that he's friends with uh, two of Rich's friends in the, from the DNC. And that's how he was put in touch with the family to handle the media. So Bauman is now speaking on behalf of the family. Yes. Was it Bauman or was it the family that that uh, because after uh, Wheeler appeared on uh, Fox, I believe it was on on Sean Hannity's program, uh, either Bowman, the spokesman for the family, or the family themselves came out and said that all of this conspiracy talk is hampering the investigation. It's very hurtful to the family. Do we know who said that? Right. Was it was it the spokesman, the DNC spokesman, or was it the family? Well, um, it was a DNC spokesman, apparently, allegedly, on behalf of the family. Ah. So how odd is it? Now, it's, what's, what's really, you know, alarming to me, it's alarming to the detective, and it's just raising red flags, is when he talked to the spokesman, he, he literally he said more than once, he said to numerous media outlets, anyone who dare allege or or even think for a moment that Seth Rich leaked these emails to WikiLeaks should burn in hell, right? Now, right. I interviewed him for about a half an hour, and I let him do most of the talking, and he did not mention anything about emails and WikiLeaks, almost strategically, and that is what he is. He's a spin doctor for the DNC, right? A crisis consultant. Right. So, as soon as I started mentioning WikiLeaks, or I asked him, you know, why... Why do you think it's evil just to not rule it all out? Don't we want to get to the bottom of the case? And he just got belligerent again and got angry. And he's, you know, I, I, you can hear in my interview, actually, where he's, um, he says to me, well, I say, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I just want, I'm just asking you a question. I apologize if you think I'm arguing, you know, I'm just trying to start an argument to kind of reel him back in from being so emphatically upset about me mentioning WikiLeaks or email. Right, right. So that, that that's also disconcerting. 
Alicia Powell um, is with us. She's a political reporter with World Net Daily, or WND, and uh, has written uh, for numerous other outlets. And you can follow her on Twitter, at Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, Alicia underscore Powell, P-O-W-E. Um, you know, it's interesting The mainstream media is saying that the, these conspiracy theories are being concocted uh, by the alt-right because they want to detract or d- distract from all of this, uh, you know, talk about uh, uh, you know Trump's collusion with the Russians and so forth. I mean, you could easily make the argument the other way, <laughs> that the, 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 the alt-left um, is, is um, using this Russian uh, collusion talk to distract from Seth Rich's murder. Well... It's not news to any conservative or any avid news watcher that the mainstream media is another arm, an arm, a spokesman of the Democratic National Committee, right? They're Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama and the Democrat um, uh, spokespeople, right? All of them, right? 97% of the White House press corps are self-identified liberals or... The, the, the liberal is not uh, leftist enough for them to categorize themselves as. Sorry, Democrats. Democrats aren't liberal enough. So um, we can't expect any kind of truth from the mainstream media. We can expect them to uh, keep on beating the American people in the head with the fact that there's collusion with Russia, right? And that Russia is, is the reason why um, is, is behind the leak. Um, and Julian Assange has repeatedly come and said that Ru- he, Russia was not his source. Right. Yeah. But Earlier, it doesn't matter. Just right? before you came on, Alicia, I was I was um, I, I mentioned that, um, and I may be mis- misremembering this, but I I, th- I think not. I think Julian Assange basically all but admitted that Seth Rich was the source. I mean, he was asking us, begging us to read in between the lines. I mean, what was your characterization of, of Assange's comments about Seth Rich and the possibility that he was the source of the leaks. Why was Assange lie? First of all, he, he hasn't yet to be proven wrong about any, any of the information he's put out so far or revealed to us has yet to be proven inaccurate. But really, what, what would be his intention of lying? I mean, if Russia, why, why should we believe the fact that the mainstream media is trying to is not talking about this story. The fact that the spokesman is so outrageous. What's weird is why is the family, um, was the family paid off? That's what some people are speculating to wonder, you know, not trying to get to the bottom of this. Um, or perhaps just in living in fear, perhaps being perhaps, in, being intimidated. Uh, um, what about the existence of, of uh, evidence on the late Seth Rich's computer uh, that may have linked him to WikiLeaks. Uh, I believe Rod Wheeler mentioned that, although the police okay. say it doesn't exist. What do we know? Is there, does is is that computer out there? Is that information on that computer? Well, first we found we we, we so when the Drudge story hit last week, we learned that there was a federal investigator who seen the computer and found evidence that um, Rich was in fact leaking lots of all these DNC emails to WikiLeaks through a third-party source, uh, through someone, uh, a journalist, a British journalist who passed away. Um, that was his contact to WikiLeaks. And now, you know, the, the Detective Wheeler says he's been trying to find the computer 
and he hasn't been able to find it. And the spokesman tells me that the family has the computer. I'm going to set the record clear once and for all. The family has the computer. And the Washington, D.C. police has a computer. So <laughs> there's, well. mixed, there's, there's mixed uh, responses on who has the computer. If the family has a computer, then why not just yeah. reveal what's e- on it? Exactly. Alicia, i got to run, but uh, uh, let's Thank hope you. that the FBI can um, maybe uh, subpoena that. Uh, thank you so much. Alicia Powell, WND. You. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Open lines when The Conspiracy Show returns right after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. And let me give you the numbers because those are always handy when you're conducting a phone-in talk radio program. In the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere, one 866 740 Four seven forty eight six six seven forty four seven forty, and once again in the Greater Toronto area four one six three six zero zero seven forty. James D. Eugenio, assassination researcher, is uh, coming up next. The author of Destiny Betrayed, and um, one of the finest political assassination researchers out there, uh, particularly uh, as it relates to the Kennedys, Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, Malcolm X. And uh, we are getting set to commemorate uh, the 100th anniversary of the birth of the 35th president. Lots going on this year, and James will be here to tell us about that. Uh, There is a uh, uh, sort of one final dump of documents um, coming up in October. And then in uh, November, there'll be a mock trial at a law school in Houston. When I say a mock trial, presumably it'll be the Warren Report (laughs) that'll be on trial. So that'll be interesting. And uh, we'll talk about some other loose ends that are still sort of nagging uh, people like James D. Eugenio as it pertains to the uh, the, the murder of uh, John F. Kennedy. Now, uh, you can um, you can talk to me about just about anything. If you want to if you want to talk about the, the Seth Rich murder, we just had Alicia Powell on from WND. Uh, if there's anything there that you'd like to talk about. Now, someone just sent me an email regarding that, and uh, it is uh, – about this, there's a surgeon, apparently, uh, who claims that Seth, his uh, injuries initially were not fatal and that he was brought to the emergency room at a hospital in Washington. Uh, I have no way uh, of corroborating this. This could just be wild hearsay. And I'm trying to find the the email now that uh, that was sent to me. Uh, maybe before the bottom of the hour, I will find that. Uh, maybe you did you forward that to me, Albert? It was uh, someone who was a um, uh, rotating as a uh, as a doctor in, one, in a Washington D.C. area hospital. Did you? Did, does that sound familiar? I don't remember. You don't remember? Okay. Anyway, I'll keep looking for it. Uh, in the meantime, we will uh, go to the phones, and uh, Lynn is checking in from the Big Smoke here in Toronto. Hello, Lynn. Welcome. Good morning. Hello, 
Richard. Hi there. Uh, I want to talk with you about the dangers of dog vaccines. My sister has four dogs. She took three. She took them all to the vac- to the veterinarian for vaccinations. Three came back okay, but the fourth dog, he's nine years old. He died twelve hours later from the rabies vaccination. Uh, you got the rabies vaccine. How do you know? How do we know it was from the rabies vaccination? Well, because she that that's she's looked it up on the internet, mm-hmm. and and a lot of dogs have died on the uh, through these this vaccination in particular. And I one time had a little cat, and she was given a vaccination, and a day later. She came up in a big tumor from the vaccine, and I took her back to the vet and had her. He he had he took the tumor off, but she died. Hmm. So I, I don't know what we can do about it because it's like it's from the medial company, but I know it takes a long time for them to do anything about these dangers for drugs and things because in 2013. I'm, this is something that happened to me. I had a cold, and I took some Barclays mixture. Now they didn't have the original Barclays mixture; they had they had the new and improved. And uh, I took one teaspoonful, and without the word of a lie, I started to choke to death on one teaspoon of cough medicine. And I sent it back to the company. And uh, then I heard from the Food and Drug Administration, and they wanted no more details and this and that. But I told them I didn't have to go to emergency, thankfully, because I was able to get some water down my throat and sort of stop that. Okay, well, let me let me address the the vaccine thing yeah, first of all. What I want to say, yeah. what, just one more thing. It took. It's now it's off the market, but it's taken four years. That's my point. All right. Um, can't respond to the the Buckleys. Uh, I've used it, and uh, I find it comes as advertised. It works. However, you know, maybe you had an adverse reaction. These things do happen. But uh, and about- when it comes to the dog vaccines, you know, I am not a, a vet, nor do I play one on the radio. My my, listen. I, when it comes to vaccines, I, I think I've been pretty open. I've done a lot of programs on on human vaccinations, and I am. Um, I am skeptical about the efficacy of certain vaccines and about the safety of other vaccines. But I am not a sort of I'm not willing holus bolus to throw all vaccines to one side and say all bad. And I'm and and the anti-vaxxers out there may say, oh, you're a sellout and so forth. Uh, To me, it's a case by case situation. I don't think all vaccines are bad. There are some that I'm 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 skeptical about. No, but could there be something wrong with this particular vaccine? Well, it's quite possible. Uh, now, I don't know. Is it possible at, the, at this? Do they do autopsies on on pets? I mean, I know that's expensive, and once you lose an animal, then maybe that's the last thing on your mind. But uh, I'm sure somebody's studying this. Um, this is the first I've heard about adverse effects in in, uh, in in animal vaccines. My my question is, I mean, how else do we how do we protect ourselves against rabies? Um, you know, is there is there an alternative method for protecting it? rabies here in southwestern Ontario is is a big issue, right? So, um, listen, I love dogs, believe me, but I, I have to be honest with you. I'm more worried about the human certain human vaccines than I am about dog vaccines. And that's not to say that I'm you know I don't have compassion and I'm but 
listen, I, uh, I'm not going to sit here on the radio and say we should get rid of the dog vaccine and, and leave ourselves vulnerable to some sort of a rabies outbreak because humans can get rabies from dogs. So, um, you know, my, my greatest sympathies to your, uh, your friend's dog or your friend who lost her dog. And, uh, yeah, it's something that pro- probably needs to be studied. And maybe there are uh, people, vets and so forth, uh, who are studying this. But I really can't uh, add much to that conversation, unfortunately. Lynn, thank you. Uh, Ryan is in Stouffville, beautiful Stouffville, not too far from where I'm sitting. Ryan, good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, I uh, listen to your show every Sunday as much as I can. I work in the bar industry, so I'm up late anyways. I appreciate you checking in, Ryan. What's on your mind? Okay, so I remember there was a show that you did on Vision a while back. The TV like show, Ener- the conspiracy television program, yes. Yeah, yeah, the television show. And it was talking about uh, like energy lines where people go either on their birthday or on the summer solstice. And it's like certain places in the world. And I think you, you went out to like Omaha or something like that. Uh, that doesn't, we did about 50 episodes and I got to be honest, Ryan, that one does not sound familiar. <laughs> okay. I know. Cause it was mostly like this company that took your birthday or whatever. And it found like an energy line that you needed to be on. Hmm, that's interesting. We, I, I didn't do that on the TV show, but I, I, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Oh yeah. No. Okay. Maybe I was thinking of the wrong episode, but it was basically like just had to do somewhat with ley lines. Right. But like how you your like astrological makeup is okay and so you what, what you want to do is you want to match your uh, your sign or your birth date with one of these ley lines uh, somewhere on the planet maybe you know near Stonehenge or wherever and then what's supposed to happen well yeah like it was either I vaguely remember but it was either your birthday or it was the summer solstice okay and like it could be even like I know uh, I guess the one guy he like he went to Omaha and uh, it's like it, it's kind of random for each person, but it like I guess it heightens your energies like coming forward into the year. And all right, so it's supposed to bring you good fortune, good luck, that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess like because you know with like ley lines, I'm not too, I don't know too much about them, but there is I guess spiritual purposes to it. And uh, there's benefits to these kind of things. Well, a lot of these, you know, ancient sites were built on ley lines. And then later, uh, after, you know, uh, Christianity sort of swept Europe, they would take down these pagan sites and they would build the cathedral right on the same location. And again, on these, well, these what they call these ley lines. So there's something interesting well, yeah, going on there. Like there's a, there's a kind of cool thing about Stouffville. The Mantle tribe lived here. And uh, when they were starting to build, like, all the new homes, they uh, dug out, like, ancient artifacts, and there was an episode, I think it was on Discovery, where they found the first uh, European medal in Canada, like, predating. Interesting. And uh, In Stouffville? I had no yeah, idea. Well, I guess in Stouffville was where, uh, at one point, where all the native tribes, like, all met in peace, and it was like a trading spot. So almost like, like what would be our Ottawa or Capitol Hill. Right, right. So, there you go. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just north of the old city. So. Fascinating. Ryan, thank you for that. You're full of good no information problem. tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys do a great job. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Have a good evening. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to Ohio, and James is checking in. Good evening, good morning. James, how are you? Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Um, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, I called uh, a couple weeks back about the Flat Earth and uh, Mandela Effect. 
Oh yes, yes. I've I've been receiving a lot of emails about uh, people wanting us to do something on the Mandela effect, and so we're going to do that. I'll put Albert on that. We'll do something on the Mandela. Uh, and yes, I remember your. Now this is I'm trying to find it here. The, the mighty Aphrodite sent this to me. Uh, speaking of the flat Earth. Now, James, did you hear about this man? He took a spirit level on a plane uh, to prove that the Earth is flat. Now, this was um, this was uh, published in the uh, independent newspaper over in England. But he, um, his name is um, he's a YouTuber, D Marble. He flew from North Carolina to Seattle to see if the pilot would dip the nose of the plane to compensate for curvature. So he recorded 23 minutes and 45 seconds, um, which means the plane traveled a little over 203 miles. And according to the curvature math he gives to explain the globe model, this should have resulted in the compensation of five miles of curvature. And uh, he says, as you'll see in the YouTube video, there is no measurable compensation for curvature. (laughs) What do you make of that? Um, it, it doesn't surprise me at all, but uh, actually, that's not what I'm really uh, calling for uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> that that blesses my heart. Anyway, um, I, I'm sorry to get off topic, but um, I, I wanted to just run by a little. Um, uh, it, it was like a, an experience I had when I was about nine years old. Okay. And um, <clears throat> can you hold on, James? We're coming up on a break. Hold on to your line. Okay. And uh, we'll come back to you. James in Ohio, I believe, is going to tell us about a uh, demonic experience he had as a child. That's upcoming, plus more of your calls here on the Open Line segment of The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, Just a a special shout-out to uh, those of you in the live chat on our YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And uh, please, hit the uh, the sub button. We are uh, trying to reach 10,000 subs sometime in 2017, and we're almost halfway there, thanks to all of you. So uh, keep watching us on YouTube and listening. Uh, those of you, of course, listening in on one of our affiliate stations, the podcast, of course, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, TalkZone.com, the apps, the Zoomer Radio app, and uh, the Conspiracy Show app, both fabulous uh, apps, two of the best in radio, and uh, both free downloads for your iPhone and your Android Uh, Those of you, of course, listening to us on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, however and wherever you're listening, uh, I welcome you to the program. Uh, We'll get back to James in Ohio in just a minute, but I was uh, looking for those uh, emails that I received regarding uh, the Seth Rich murder, and uh, there's a couple of them. Uh, One is, um, do you know this Kim.com? He's this internet entrepreneur, and he's a hacker, and now he's come out and admitted that he was part of the operation along with Seth Rich, uh, to get stolen DNC emails uh, to WikiLeaks. Well, that's Kim.com. That's him saying it. 
that's uh, his claim, certainly not mine. Again, no way of, no, of verifying that. Uh, and then, let's see if I can, I think I have the other one. Uh, yes, here it is. And another emailer alluded to this as well. Um, this was, um, it's anonymous, but it's uh, a fourth-year surgery resident who says he rotated to WHC, Washington Hospital Center, last year. He said, it won't be hard to identify me or her. It could be a her. But I feel that I shouldn't stay silent. Seth Rich was shot twice with three total gunshot wounds, entry and exit, and entry. He was taken to the OR emergency where we performed an X-lap and found a small injury to segment three of the liver, which was packed with several small bowel injuries, pretty common for gunshots to the back exiting the abdomen which we resected 12 centimeters of bowel and left him in discontinuity. Didn't hook everything back up with the intent of performing a washout in the morning. He did not have any major vascular injuries otherwise. I've seen dozens of worse cases than this which survived and nothing about his injuries suggested to me that he'd sustained a fatal wound. In the meantime, he was transferred to the ICU and transfused two units of blood where his post-surgery crit came back Minus 20. I don't know what that means, but whoever this person is, they seem to know the vernacular of a, an OR surgeon. Uh, he was stable and not on any pressers, and it seemed pretty routine. About eight hours after we, he arrived, we were swarmed by LEOs. Anyone know what LEOs are? I don't know what that means. And pretty much every, everyone except the attending and a few nurses was kicked out of the ICU, disallowing visiting hours normally every odd hour, example 1 a.m., 3 a.m. is not something we do rut- routinely. It was weird as hell. At turnover that morning, we were instructed not to round on the VIP that came in last night. That's exactly what the attending said. And no one except for me and another resident had any idea who he was talking about. No one here was allowed to see Seth except for my attending when he died. No code was called. I rounded on patients literally next door, but was physically blocked from checking in on him. I've never seen anything like it before, and while I can't say 100% that he was allowed to die... I don't understand why he was treated like that. Take it how you may. I'm just one low-level doc. Something's fishy, though, that's for sure. This is uh, anonymous, someone who claims to be a fourth-year surgery resident who rotated at WHC last year. Again, I throw that out there, but I have no way, no way of verifying that. Uh, Law enforcement officer, thank you, LEO. Thank you, uh, Albert. All right. So... There you go. Uh, let us get back to uh, James uh, in Ohio. James, you had a, an experience uh, as a young child involving demons. Did we lose James? Ah, James, I'm so sorry. If you're there, if you if you can hear me, call back. Uh, Phil is in Scarborough. Welcome, Phil. Hey, Phil. Did we lose Phil? Are our phone lines? Are we having trouble with our phone lines? All right, let's go up. The, let's go to Dana in Vermont. Good morning, good evening, Hi, Dana. Hi there. How are you, sir? I'm well. Yeah, I want to talk about Seth Rich and uh, John Kennedy Jr. Yeah, um, it's obvious to me that uh, Seth Rich was a uh, a Clinton mob hit, uh, as well as John John Kennedy. Um, and these things are frightfully obvious, and uh, it's just a shame that uh, I don't know who's protecting the Clintons in the government, but. I mean, it's unbelievable what they've gotten away with. I just can't believe it. Well, here's the um, interesting thing about the, the Clinton death list is, yeah. you know, you go into a, into a room and you ask someone, raise your hand if you know anybody that was ever murdered. And now in a room of 100, I don't know, you might get a couple of people, maybe. The yeah. Clintons know there are about 80 people 
by last count, about 80 yeah. people that had close relations to them that had been murdered. I mean, yeah, that's, I, believe, I mean I'm um, not saying that they pulled the trigger, and I'm not saying that they arranged for it, but that alone is strange. Yeah, I believe Dr. Martin Luther King was also left to, left to die. His wounds weren't considered fatal either. I don't know if you talked to Mr. Pepper about that, Anthony Pepper? Uh, William Francis Pepper. No, I'm sorry, William Francis Pepper. Yeah. No, and uh, for those who don't know, he was, um, uh, he, um, yeah, he's, he was the um, James Earl Ray's uh, attorney uh, yeah. at one point and also conducted a sort of a, a mock civil trial. Yeah. No, it wasn't a mock trial. It was, a, uh, it was an actual... Before Sherman Skolnick passed away, yeah. I ordered the uh, FBI report on John Kennedy's plane. Okay. Um, I don't know how Sherman got it, but it looked official to me. It had all the FBI markings on it, and mm-hmm. it said that uh, Kennedy's plane was taken down with plastic, plastic explosives um, affixed to the aircraft. And if you know anything about that, uh, if you read anything about the uh, crash debris, uh, it did uh, look like an explosion because uh, the wreckage was scattered you know, uh, a mile apart, um, they found a suitcase, I believe, a mile from the plane. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, I guess, when the plane explodes, that's the type of wreckage you get. It was very common, um, the way the wreckage was found of a, an explosive um, uh, deal. That's what I've read. And I've also read that it was clear as a bell that night to fly. Yes, the initial the, reports yeah. were that they, the visibility was good, and then later yeah. uh, it seemed like they changed the... Uh, that and said it was yeah, you know, fought. I, I don't know if the Bushes killed Kennedy or the Clintons did because he was in the way he was going to run for president. I mean, if he ran for president, I, he would have mopped the floor with either Hillary or Jeb. Um, um, I'm sorry, Bush Jr. Well, I read that he was he was contemplating running for the Senate seat in New York that Hillary later ran for. But uh, it's possible. Well, he was going to be in the way of the Bushes and the Clintons, and I, I don't think any more highly of the Bushes than I do the Clintons. They've got a lot of. Uh, Skullduggery in their uh, history, also. And uh, your next guest coming up, I'm I'm dying to hear him speak. Um, I uh, I've read um, just about every book you can read on the Kennedy assassination. Yes. And I'm totally convinced that the CIA killed uh, John Kennedy as well as Bob Kennedy, um, without any equivocation at all. Um, I just uh, and Saint John Hunt uh, that tape. I mean, that just cemented my beliefs. Have you heard of St. John, E. Howard Hunt's son? Yeah, uh, he's been on the program. I know St. John. He's been on the program. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the big event, I mean, you know, you you can't fake that. (laughs) Well, uh, it seems to me that there were a lot of people lined up to take a shot at uh, poor Jack Kennedy. He uh, he was a lamb that, you know, uh, was led into the slaughter, unfortunately. uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a shame they framed, uh, the people they framed uh, for the murders of... uh, John Kennedy and Bob Kennedy. It's interesting Martin. with the with with Patsy's in in these cases. Yeah. Uh, I I know with with Sirhan Sirhan there was kind of a trial, but Sirhan was clearly you know out of it and was kind of duped into that uh, confession. Uh, well, James Earl Ray with with Martin Luther King uh, Jr. was was told uh, he had a terrible lawyer and was told if you want to avoid the uh, the death penalty you've got to you've got to uh, admit to it. And he of course he later retracted that. But there's rarely in these high Profile assassinations, whether it's John Lennon or or JFK, uh, there's rarely ever a trial, which is, I suppose, yeah. not surprising. Dana in Vermont, thank you so much for checking in. I hope uh, you'll call you're again. Welcome. Uh, thank you for all for all your insight. I really appreciate your show. I wish we had one in America like yours. Appreciate it, Dana. Thank okay, you. Bye. Uh, James is back from Ohio. Hey, James, glad you called back. How are you? 
Um, I'm, 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 I'm good. Uh, okay, we don't have a lot of time now, so just tell me about your, you had a demonic experience as a child? That's the only thing I can uh, kind of run it up as, um, and I'll try to be as quick as possible. Um, uh, how it started, um, I didn't know at the time, but my mom was using meth, and maybe that has something to do with it, but um, when it started, uh, I got this um, numbing sensation from my ankles all throughout my body, and I kind of saw, um, like, uh, I don't know, uh, when I closed my eyes, it was like I could see um, on the sea, um, like forever into darkness. Um, anyway, uh, after after that had happened, um, um, it got to a point where I kind of craved the feeling. And my mom uh, picked me up from um, school one day, and we were uh, heading back to the house. And right before we got to a stop sign, um, the car kind of just stopped in time and um the only reason i'm calling and, and uh asking about this and and telling my experiences because i've I, I still have questions i don't really understand what happened okay so I'm james kinda... let me just ask you that, that when when you had this feeling this sensation that came over you, you you were you were in bed is that it and you were looking up at your ceiling no 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 i was i was completely awake and uh it kind of came over me but um, it, it got to the point where I had craved the feeling, and it was like a, a hateful feeling, a feeling of power and um, just darkness. And um, well, you, you craved the feeling. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I misheard you. You craved the feeling that came over you. Yes. Ah. And, um, like it happened, the first time it happened, it happened like a few, a few days after, and then it happened a few weeks after, and then okay. it happened like about a month after. And then... Um, it kind of got to where it wasn't happening, and that's the point where I, I began to crave it. But um, Because it made uh, you feel powerful? Then, what now? Why did you crave it? It made you feel powerful? Yes, yes, yes. And um, like, uh, like I felt like I could walk into the middle of the street and get hit by a car, and the car would crumple against me, and I was nine years old at oh, the time. Oh, dear. Anyway, I'm glad um, you didn't test so, that theory. I'm so glad. Now, why why do you think James? It, it, I'm I'm so sorry to hear this, but you, your mother was using meth at the time. Well, uh, yes, she was smoking. I, I what was she smoking? Crystal meth? Or? And that, that's why I think, and then maybe she brought in some demons uh, or something. Anyway, um, uh, the 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 real story, um, the uh, at the at the peak of this uh, experience. Um, we were coming back home from school, and I was in the passenger seat, and we were about to get to a stop sign, and it seemed like time just stopped. It was it was a spring spring day. Uh, everything was green and uh, everything was beautiful, but it seemed like time had stopped. And and um, when I looked to my right, I noticed that the clouds seemed dark. Uh, they were like kind of like purple and black. Um, all the all the grass was burned and scorched. Uh, the trees were burned and scorched. Um, and and when I looked to my left, um, like my mom was like this this creature that uh, it looked like if I touched his flesh, it would uh, the flesh would um, would like fall off like it was burnt and crisp. Oh my! And and the the, the tongue was like like almost like a snake and it was doing its head back and forth and all this okay james we're almost out of time here let me ask you how how are you now 
Well, I mean, now I'm I'm a functional human being. I'm, you know, I'm an adult and everything. I'm, okay. And how about your mom? Did she, did your mom come to terms with her demons? If I can well, use that yeah, word. Yes, she she did. But uh, I just kind of want to see if anybody else has had this experience. Like it almost felt like a revelation because um, the, after after um, the the demon or whatever or whatever it was started reaching out to my leg. And as soon as it uh, kind of grabbed to my thigh, uh, like it was like I woke up and I was hyperventilating, and my mom was saying my name over and over, and uh, the time had started again. And um, I don't know, I just, I just want to see if anybody, any of the listeners, have had any type of experience like this because still to this day, I'm I'm 26 and I still have no clue what that was about and. It's just, it's confusing. I don't know if, if I like... Do you believe in God, called. James? Do you believe in God? I, I do. I do. That is right. that is the only reason why I'm still here is because of God. And and but, uh, um, th- and th- th- did this bring you closer to God as a result? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know, uh, to be honest. I just, I just don't understand. I, I feel like maybe I had some type of prophetic uh, vision of the future, and I, I fear. I, I mean, I, I don't want to get the listeners all hyped up or anything, but well, James, listen, really... put it this way: if I mean, I'm sorry you went through that. That sounds like a harrowing, frightening nightmare. Um, but you came through it, and now it sounds like. Are you a Christian? Can I ask you? Yes, I am. Well, if it strengthened your faith, maybe in some strange way, you could look at what what you went through as a gift. I don't know what well, it, it was. You, maybe you were being tested, but you came through it. You survived, and as you as you say now, you're a you're a fully functioning human being, and uh, and um, you believe in God. So maybe you can look at that as a positive. You survived it. You're a spiritual warrior, James. I I, I kind of feel like um, for some reason the devil has been kind of following me in some way. Like maybe that I have. Um, uh, God has a great plan for me, and I feel like the the devil has been trying to do everything he can. Well, he tried to take you down once, and he lost, James. So keep the faith, my friend, and uh, thank you for calling in. Stay well, all right? Stay well. All right, James Eugenio, assassination researcher, commemorating the 100th anniversary of JFK's birth. More with The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, just pouring myself a glass of liquid oxygen here, and I managed to spill some. How about that? <laughs> Sorry. All righty. Uh, just a reminder, coming up next week on the program, on the panel, uh, the publisher of WorldNet Daily, or WND, Joseph Farah, and Carl Gallops has been a frequent guest, uh, best-selling author. They'll be, our, uh, they'll be on the, uh, the panel. Uh, Paul Hellyer. 
the former defense minister, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, former Canadian defense minister and deputy prime minister, will be on the program. Uh, he'll be uh, talking about the upcoming uh, Alien Expo which is happening here in Toronto a little bit later, uh, I believe next uh, month, June, June or July. We'll, we'll get all the details and we'll uh, promote that uh, for the good folks at the uh, Alien Expo. And also Barry Katz uh, will be with us. Uh, he is the producer of a, a documentary film, I Shot JFK. This is about James Files, a gen- gentleman who is uh, languishing in a prison, I believe, in uh, Illinois, who claims he was the grassy old gunman. Uh, James G- DiEugenio is uh, is with us on uh, May the 29th, of course. The nation commemorates the 100th birthday of President John F. Kennedy. And as we know, Kennedy was uh, cut down before reaching the age of 50. Uh, and there's a lot going on uh, this uh, upcoming month. Um, the um, the uh, a number of uh, documents are going to be released in October pertaining to the assassination and also in November uh, as we mark the 54th anniversary of the uh, assassination there will be a mock trial in Houston at South Texas School of Law and um, oh I mentioned the uh, the October the final disclosures of the JFK Act James D. Eugenio is the author of Destiny Betrayed about the garrison investigation of the uh, Kennedy assassination first published in 1992 with a second greatly revised edition issued in 2012 and uh, Reclaiming Parkland published in 2013 reissued in, and uh, expanded in 2016 which offers a detailed, critical examination of the Warren Commission's evidence and conclusions as presented by Vincent Bugliosi's Reclaiming History. And uh, he's also the co-author and editor of the Assassinations Probe magazine on JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X. He co-edited Probe magazine from 1993 to 2000, was a guest commentator on the anniversary issue of the film JFK, Re-released by Warner Brothers in 2013. He has an MA in contempor- a Master's in Contemporary American History from California State University, Northridge, and a specialist in the history and theory of cinema. Always a pleasure to welcome James D. Eugenio back to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Jim, how are you? Good evening, Richard. Uh, great having a, We had a, a much lengthier conversation, of course, on Coast to Coast AM last month. Uh, but uh, let, let me just revisit some of those themes. First of all, uh, again, the JFK Act, the, the documents being released in October. What do we expect to hear or find in those documents? All right. Now, uh, let me give you your listeners some background on that. After Oliver Stone's movie was released, he had a tagline at the end of the movie that said, the records of the House Select Committee assassinations will be classified till the year 2039. That created an uproar, all right? And so they passed something called the JFK Act. And this created a board, the Assassinations Record Review Board, that worked for four years to try and declassify all the records they could find uh, at the state, local, and federal level. When they closed down... There were still some records left because they had said that we will not expose anything of an ongoing operation and we will not expose any agent in place. All right? Those are supposed to be the only two exceptions until 2017. So, in other words, they tacked on another 23 years. Okay? Right. <laughs> Right. Which would be okay, that so. by 2039, that's nearly that's 70 years after the assassination. Well, we, we did we, we did get a little <laughs> bit better than the 2039. Yeah. Okay. We only had to wait the 20. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's even funny to say it, isn't it? We oh. only had to wait to 2017. Okay, that's not bad. Okay, so, <laughs> so this October, there's supposed to be the final declassification of the ARB. And there looks to be some very interesting documents there. Like, for example, the 201 file on Lee Harvey Oswald, um, which, according to the, the list I had, okay, is, is pretty extensive. So that should be very, very interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. There are some documents dealing with Ruth and Michael Payne. Okay, there's uh, employees there's of Bell Helicopter who who befriended the Oswalds when they landed in Dallas. Right, yeah. right. Ruth and Michael. We, we could do a whole show about those two. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, and and we still wouldn't be able to cover it. Okay. All right. And there's a lot of interesting documents about um, about Cuba. All right. And there's even documents. This is really kind of stunning. There's even documents that date back to the Warren Commission hmm. that are still are that are still being classified. Now, the problem with the directory I have is it's not very descriptive. OK, it basically all it tells me is that when was the document originated? What body was it originated for? And a very vague topics. You know what is you know like about three or four words as to what it's about. Right. All right, but you know it's it's better than nothing. So there should be some very interesting documents coming out. Now, as you said, May the twenty ninth is the hundredth anniversary of John F. Kennedy. All right, and it's called a centennial. And I'd like to refer everybody to the uh, AV uh, slideshow that we have at kennysandking.com, because if you thought you knew who John F. Kennedy was, you're going to be surprised, okay, because there's a lot of stuff that you didn't know about him. I consider this the second media cover-up. Interesting. Okay, the first cover-up is about the assassination. They covered that up, all right? The second media cover-up was who was John F. Kennedy. And that one, I think, is in some ways even longer-lasting than the one about his murder, okay, because this guy, I mean, I thought I had a pretty good background on Kennedy, all right, when I started doing the research for this uh, slideshow, this PowerPoint show, you know, I was even surprised at all the things that this guy did. All right, listen, we've got to take a time out, James, when we come back, maybe you can give us a few highlights from that, and then uh, we'll also talk a little bit more about the Warren Commission, and I know uh, we've got this mock trial coming up in uh, November in Houston at the law school there. Back with more with James D. Eugenio, the website, kennedysandking.com, kennedysandking.com. Back with more. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. James D. Eugenio is here. Please take a moment and get up uh, to the uh, the website, Kennedy's, or sorry, Kennedy and, Kennedy'sandking.com. Let me get it right. It's Kennedy's and king.com and uh, there's uh, also a great uh, a photo gallery there uh, of uh, John F Kennedy just as a as a toddler growing up in Brookline Massachusetts where he was born uh, all the way up until of course 1963 uh, 
James, you said that you were surprised when you put this PowerPoint together on the website, kennedysandking.com, about, you know, who John Kennedy really was. Give me some examples. What really shocked you? Well, Kennedy was only president for two years and ten months. If you take a look at the amount of stuff that this guy accomplished in less than three years, it's a little bit astonishing, all right? Especially when you compare it to people who were president for four years and eight years, like Barack Obama was. All right, for example, Kennedy actually tried to pass Medicare way back there in 1962, all right? It, it failed. The Republicans blocked it. But on the day of his assassination, he was working to bring the bill back and thought for sure that it was going to pass. All right. Um, you take a look at his record on civil rights. I'll give you an example. The night that Kennedy was inaugurated, okay, he got on the phone with some of his cabinet members and said, there were not anywhere near enough people of color at my inauguration. We're going to start looking for qualified people. So in other words, he was, he was the first guy to start an unofficial affirmative action program to get more people of color employed by the government right, the night right. of his inauguration. Okay? Y- yes. All right? Yeah. And then if you take a look at the things he was doing in his foreign policy, you know, which is really so far seeing... You know, it's just kind of amazing. You know, you, you, you take a look at things. You know, everybody talks about Vietnam and Cuba. All right, and everybody knows that stuff, okay, that, that he was doing those kind of things. But he was also doing really incredible things in the third world, like with Indonesia, you know, the big archipelago there in the Pacific. All right. Um, he was doing the Alliance for Progress in which he was trying to make you know, very low interest-free loans, well, not interest-free, but very low-rate loans to countries in South America for their development, all right? Um, He was trying to go for this detente with the Soviet Union, first president to do that since since World War II, all right? Um, You know, and I, I didn't have enough room in that PowerPoint presentation. And by the way, it's not just visual. There's also captions on each picture explaining what it is you know i didn't have enough room to go into his middle east policy it's all it was but, very ambitious it's almost like he knew james that he didn't have a lot of time do you think in the back of his mind he well, thought that i don't you know I, I i really don't know what provoked him to go at this headlong speed okay but if you take a look at this see i i had to divide it up in the years 61 62 and 63 i originally thought i'd get everything in one show, but I couldn't. There was so much stuff, you know, there's about 20 items in each one of those panels. All right, 61. I'll give you another example. I don't know if you're aware of this. In 1954, I'm sure you know what the Siege of Denbian Few was, right? Yes. Okay. This was the final battle in the French colonial war in Vietnam. to retake yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. Kennedy had been there a couple years before. He writes a letter to John Foster Dulles in 1953. Forty, I think, 47 questions. Every one of them, what are your plans to take Indochina? Because he thought France would fall. Okay? What are your plans in Indochina after the French leave? All right? 
Dulles never answered that question, except he did answer the question because he put together Operation Vulture to save Dien Bien Phu. Now, I, do, should I explain that? I, do you, are you, have you ever talked about that before? We haven't, no. No, just, just okay. a, if you want this to spend a couple minutes. This was an air armada composed of 150 jet fighters, 60 conventional bombers, three Convair B-36s to drop three atomic bombs to relieve the siege of Dien Bien Phu. Wow. Okay? Wow. Now, the point man for this was Nixon. Okay? He was the vice president at that time. That's right. He was supposed to lobby the press and the uh, Congress. All right? Well, when Kennedy got wind of this, he said, he, he said this, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. I want Foster Dulles to explain to me how atomic weapons figure into guerrilla warfare. Okay. Unbelievable. <laughs> what is the point of using atomic weapons, a bunch, a, a bunch of third world guerrilla fighters? Okay. And then he took the opposite tack and he said, look, it doesn't matter what you put in there. You know, men, material, weapons. Okay. You cannot stalk a phantom force that you say is unpopular, but has the support of the people covertly. All right? So that was his first really defining moment. Then in 1957, Kennedy takes the floor of the Senate. I think this was in July of 1957. And he gives what the New York Times called the most bracing critique of the French colonial war in Algeria that any American politician has given. All right. And he said, words of the effect, didn't we learn our lesson three years ago? Didn't we see what happened with France when she tried to take back Vietnam? Didn't we end up in complete failure? Didn't we embarrass ourselves by trying to help her? Okay. What are we doing now? We're doing the same thing. Instead of helping her in this brutal colonial war in Algeria, if we were really a friend of France, we would talk her into going to the negotiating table because the same thing is going to happen. She's going to lose. Right, right. All right? And what's going to happen to us when she loses? Anybody allied with France, like we are, is going to be looked askance on by the rebels who are going to take over. All right. See, so he concluded that speech with the object is, number one, to save the French nation and to free Africa. Now, can you imagine a guy talking like that in 1957? Uh, it's pretty forward thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's, it's almost like he, can you w- imagine that? Yeah, he was he was digging himself a hole even before he ran for president. He was making enemies with uh, the Dulles boys. Uh, James oh, D'Eugenio is with us. 148 editorials on that speech. Ninety of them were negative. Mm. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, James. Uh, we just have a few minutes here, but you know uh, the um, the mock trial that's coming up in November. Uh, what's going to be on trial? Is it going to be the Warren report? Are they going to try and pick that apart? No, actually, what they're going to try and do, from what I understand, is they're going to be allowed to use all the evidence that has come into the realm of knowledge since. So it's not just going to be the Warren report. 
okay? They're going to be allowed to use everything, okay? And you have the, um, two very good lawyers there, Larry Schnapp and Bill Simpich, and for two days. And this should be very, very good, I think, okay, because, you know, nobody's ever wanted to go to, into a mock trial with all the new evidence. But they, but they actually are going to have this law school, this South Texas law school, is actually going to let them present all this new evidence, so this should be really, really something. You know, I expect this to be a real barn burner. Right. People, uh, the public is going to see for the first time what the real case was. Right. Do you think if, like, people don't understand, some people don't understand, that the Warren Commission, I mean, it was not unanimous. You had all of the, the members that were the Southerners, the Richard Russell and, and Hale Boggs and John Sherman Cooper, who were from the South, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, they, they did not buy into the official version. They didn't buy into the one bullet, the magic bullet theory. They didn't buy into, uh, you know, Hoover was trying to push this on them, and they weren't going for it. Had Exactly correct. Had uh, they had the, the the same sort of information that we have now. Do you think there may have been? It wouldn't have been Dulles. It may it wouldn't have been McCloy. Uh, I, I don't know about Earl Warren, but do you think Ford could have been could pulled over to the other side to vote against it? Well, that's a very interesting question. Okay, because you knew Dulles was not no, Dulles. It didn't matter. He was going to say Oswald did it no matter what. Exactly. Okay, you know. It will be either McCloy or Ford, okay? Because actually, you know what I think would have happened if everything that we know today would have been in evidence back then? I think those three guys would have resigned. Right. Boggs, Sherman, you know, and, and Russell, you mean. Cooper yeah, and Russell, right. yeah. Well, Boggs, according to his, his wife, uh, she said he, he wished he'd never signed on in the be- in, to begin with. Right. And then, of course, right. we know what happened to Hale Boggs after his dissenting. And we opinion. also know Russell actually prepared a resignation letter. Ah, okay. okay. He, he was that angry about what was happening. You know what would have happened he if he prepared a resignation letter? What would have happened had they resigned? What would have happened? Well, th- see, that is a really great wild card. If, from what my information, and I don't have this in documents, but this is what I've read. Okay, is that Johnson talked him out of resigning? Or threatened okay. him. <laughs> or threatened him. Grabbed him by the shirt collar, no doubt. Right, right. And, and because he, he knew what a body blow that would have been to the Warren Commission if Russell would have quit. You know, because he only attended five meetings. Did you know that? I didn't. There was something like, I, you know, God, I think there was 50 sessions of the executive. And he only went to five because he said, there's no point in me going here. Okay, I'm going to conduct my own investigation. And he did. He did. Wow. Okay. It's amazing. Um, yeah, history would have been uh, completely different, perhaps, had right. uh, had the Warren Commission sort of collapsed in on itself. Uh, I mean, we know that the term, the whole term conspiracy theory was developed uh, by the CIA to sort of counteract all of the, you know, the... Uh, the theories that were floating out there about JFK after the Warren Report, nobody bought it when it came out. And 1967, CIA memorandum. Yeah. You're exactly correct. We're going to label these guys conspiracy theorists. Okay? And we're going to use every ridicule device we can. And that's how it started. And they're using the same <laughs> tactics today, James, for different reasons. You're exactly correct. 
Yeah. James Eugenio, uh, thank you for this. I know we were we were short on time, but we'll uh, we'll have you back as we approach the uh, the mock trial. Well, we'll have you back in October once those uh, the, the last of the uh, the JFK um, documents come out. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll talk to you then, Richard. My good, good. Yes, we will for sure. James D. Eugenio, and the website again is Kennedy's and King. Com. That's it for us. And my thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, Ryan White, all of you for listening at home. Back next week, uh, the Honorable Paul Hellier, Joseph Farah from WND, uh, Carl Gallops, Barry Katz, the producer of I Killed JFK, and much more. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.